not okay. I thought things would be different, that for once I'd have my day. I'm really not the same. I'm sick and tired of this plot. I put my faith in all for naught. It's not really about the ship. It's more than that, you know it. But I refuse to end the fight. It's not over tonight. And I'll believe that we'll meet again. But I'm really not okay. It hurts a lot more than my soul. It rips apart my being whole. Besides the ones you took away. It says something about an art when the only option is shot. It's not really about the ship. It's more than that, you know it. But I refuse to end the fight. It's not over tonight. And I'll believe that we'll meet again. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And the song that led into the segment is called Klexa Song uh, by Revy Dutch. And there'll be a link in the show notes, but you can follow Revy on Tumblr. It's revydutch.tumblr.com. Um, so we were all set to do a DVD shelf this week, DVD shelf segment. Um, and we've got a, a pretty fun one coming next week. But then The 100 happened last week. And uh, I just needed to talk about it. And uh, Noel wanted to talk about it, too. And I was like, you know what we should do? We should get an awesome guest on, and we should talk about this. So here joining us, uh, the chief T- one of the chief TV critics for Variety is Mo Ryan. Welcome back to the podcast, Mo. Thank you. This is my first time since joining Variety. I don't, that makes basically no difference, but hey, that's exciting. <laughs> it's, it's, like a, it's like a new debut. It's a reintroduction yes. to Televerse Telever- listenership. So there's a few things we should say right off the top uh, before we dive in. We're going to talk about The 100. We're going to talk about uh, Alexa and character deaths. And hopefully anyone who saw the title of this episode was not just spoiled by what I said. Um, but... We should mention that we have not, as we because of when we're recording, we have not yet seen the follow up to thirteen. Right. So, you know, that may affect things. But based on scheduling, we were not able to watch that before we recorded. Uh, so this is going to be very much response to thirteen without seeing necessarily where they are headed. So keep that in mind, listeners. Also, we plan to talk about traumatic TV deaths for many shows. So up here at the top, uh, at the very least, I will be talking about deaths from Lost. Battlestar Galactica, Grey's Anatomy, The Good Wife, Supernatural, Buffy, lots of Whedon things. Uh, we're going to talk some Hannibal. We're going to talk some Blackadder. We're going to talk some Breaking Bad. Uh, I'm going to talk a little MASH in case I know there's a strong contingent of you, the, of you out there who are like, you know what? I can't have MASH spoilers. So I felt yes. like I should mention that. And uh, Cheers spoilers, maybe. Who oh, knows? yeah. Who knows? Things might get crazy. Um, so... There was a lot of response and reaction. Can I also just throw in that maybe Arrow too? Oh yeah, that might be one. That's an yeah. excellent yes, Arrow as well. Good call, good call. Uh, so there, the, the hundred for those who are in, I guess, different bubbles have been living under a rock. Yeah, <laughs> under a rock with Wi-Fi, where they download podcasts from. Um, <laughs> killed off a character in their most recent episode. Um, it was a it was an episode written by Javi Griamaswash. It was a I would say, an incredibly well-written episode. I thought it was a very powerful episode. And then they did this thing where they killed off a character, and they killed off a character in a very problematic way, and in a very troubling way, which sparked lots of conversation online. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great and wonderful thing. Um, And there's a lot to, to really break down about this, about when do you kill off characters... When does the realities of filming, for example, a cast member wanting to leave a show or getting cast on a different show, play into things? And if you are going to kill a character, what do you need to take into account? Be that the character's ethnicity, sexual orientation, the storylines. What is the responsibility that comes with an audience's relationship with a character? So I think let's start with the hundred. Do -hmm. some specifics there and then, then branch out. Um, Mo, what was your, and you've written a piece over at Variety about this. Um, It was one of the first pieces that I saw pop up. So thank you for for giving a voice to the, you know, at least 
the start of the critical response there. But what was your initial reaction on watching the episode? And what have you garnered from looking at the reaction around this episode? Well, you know, it's funny because I just reread my piece from a week ago and I am, you know, I'm glad I put at the top that my views would be evolving because I think they really are. And that that was really an attempt to place that development within a larger context of how the hundred is rolling this season, so to speak. You know, I mean, I think I I think, I, you know, I saw so much pain and so much sort of just disbelief and a lot of just I'll tell you straight out. I knew that um, she was going to die in that episode that I knew in advance just for doesn't matter how. (laughs) (laughs) So um, so I kind of was prepared for there to be um, an outcry because I was, you know, like from the first episode that she appeared in, I was doing Tumblr stuff with photos and like, you know, I totally was like, I, I don't know, if part of the wave, I guess, of, of many fans who were like, okay, this is a character we really like, and this is really exciting. So I really felt like I wanted to, with that piece, recognize the emotional reality of fans and recognize also kind of structural things around just actor logistics and also structural it, it just things within the TV industry, how they work, tropes, the use and in, 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 in abuse of them. So I was kind of trying to put some things in context with the ultimate goal being hearing fans who are angry and, and giving them maybe a, a, a structural framework in which to kind of figure, help, help work some stuff through. So, I mean, I don't, that sounds really pretentious. I don't know. (laughs) I don't want to say that that's what I did, but I could sense that there was just this incredible response. And I've read just dozens and dozens of pieces over the last week, you know, just trying to get my head around other people's responses and ideas and thoughts. Um, But I, you know, I'm glad that basically that piece was something that said, if fans are upset with this, your instinctual response should not be stop talking or get over it. Like that, that was something I was starting to see. And I just thought, no, if I, if I have any voice in this, I'm going to just say, no, don't do that. Because I really don't understand that, you know, when people want to, when someone comes at you with information that is disturbing or alarming or confusing to you, if your first response is to shut down the source of that information or that opinion I don't, that's not something that I think works if you're trying to have a discourse, <laughs> you know, obviously there were some, um, some, some responses that, I, I mean, I don't really want to get into that too much because I think it was a very small subset of the fandom, but it was a real thing that some people were tweeting over the weekend, especially upsetting things. And I was in a, you know, I was sort of a target of a little bit of that, much less than other people associated with the show. But that I think was, I don't want to, I don't want to gloss over what that was like for other people or myself to see. But I think in the main, what I saw was a lot of really confused, upset people. And I mean, just to be, tell me if you guys think this sounds really, you know, pretentious or something, but for a TV critic from variety to say, yes, this is, this has a lot of problems. And I think that you are well within your rights to feel like there's something amiss here if that could provide comfort to people or allow them to help work through some things, I don't know. That was kind of what I was going for. And it was, I was working through it myself. It was, it was partially self, some kind of, um, I, I work through things by write about writing about them sometimes. So that was what that was. I was still struggling with it myself. So. Well, yeah. And I'll also point to, of course, your podcast partner, uh, the, in front of the show, Ryan McGee also put up some, a poster and followed up on it later on his blog, and, you know, with his reaction and, and mostly saying, I want to hear from the people who feel passionately about this. Tell me how you feel. Tell me why you're upset and how and and because uh, I want to learn. Um, and I think yeah. and, and the the I've got I'm kind of a little bit still kind of shaking. <laughs> I'm very angry about this. Sure. Um, and uh, I didn't expect to be. And and until we start talking about it, I was like, I'm, I'm cool now. I'm not. 
I'm not as mad about it anymore, but as soon as we start talking about it, it comes back. But one of the things that I've actually been really impressed by is that is uh, Javi Guillermo's yes. response to this as the writer of the episode. Um, he's been he was getting a lot of hate, which yeah. is understandable. But his response was not to be venomous back, but instead just say, "Tell me how you feel, and I will post it." And he's been yeah. posting it on his blog, and and it's I think that's. First of all, very smart response from the person who is in charge of the Xena reboot, but also a very human and respectful response. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would have the character to do that. Yeah, I, I've been writing about popular culture for 25 years, and I got to say that's one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. And I've talked to many creators, musicians, artists, writers in many different contexts and I, again, like, I think that that response, that openness is really rare. And I, I really respect that. I, and, and, and partially, you know, the day after, I, I don't know when it all becomes a blur. Maybe it was Saturday. I tweeted some stuff about, I, I don't, I certainly, one thing, I, I use this term myself, the word fandom, like the lost fandom or the hundred fandom, whatever. As we all know, like there are many fandoms within a fandom. So I would never want to say that people are thinking this because sometimes people say, well, the critics said this. And I'm like, oh, I don't say that, but okay, whatever. <laughs> um, it kind of irritates me. But there were, I think that there is an element within the 100 fandom that just, or it just, there's an element probably in most TV fandoms or most TV viewerships that does not understand how the industry works and that Javi did not decide on a whim to do this. Mm-hmm. this is your boss telling you go if you're a waitress go wait on table 17 and you go do it you don't have it like this is the assignment that you've been given so he was given the assignment to um write about these events that happened that lexa that there would be all the alley stuff and that lexa and clark would have sex and that lexa would die these were story points that were worked out in advance and you know, I got to give Jason Rothenberg, actually, he actually tweeted, he retweeted those tweets of mine, kind of just clarifying that stuff for, for the fans that didn't understand that basically the buck stopped with him. But yeah, Javi's response, I think really, I don't know if you guys agree with this. It's not that it fixed anything, but it, it, it helped with the healing process. And it actually inspired me to respond to basically everyone who tweeted at me and everyone who emailed me just to be like, not everyone actually, if people were saying, if people crossed a line in terms of language or threatening, you know, whatever that I didn't respond to that. And I blocked some people, but I think this was a lot of people in a great deal of pain, feeling a great, a lot of anger and a lot of different emotions. And the fact that Javi was just willing to broadcast all of it, and stopped talking after a certain point, just to said at one point, what I think is an important, I'm just here to listen. That was just incredibly interesting to me. And, and to, it was very, it was one of the most, I don't know. I, I just, again, like it's something I don't think I've ever seen to that extent in, in a long time of covering TV. And I think we're getting to two different types of impulses here with, with you in particular having your new position at Variety, I mean, you're addressing fans from a trade publication, which is a very big thing for a Variety to like do in such a big way. And I think really important as well that fans are also going to trade publications to learn about this kind of an industrial aspect of how this sort of thing played out production-wise and why that's important. But then there's the other production side of it, of fan engagement, which has been drastically shifting and changing really radically. And his response of basically just letting fans have their voice is really significant because it's it's very easy for creators and uh, regardless of the type of medium to basically just shut down, as you were saying, discourse and or uh, subscribe to a kind of, well, I'm the auteur. I'm the one that did this. So obviously I knew best. Yeah, like you're understanding it wrong. <laughs> right, right. You're... you're Audiences' engagement with your text changes as soon as you put it out there. Right. You don't ha- you don't have any control of it after that, and I think that's where the, the two really significant things are coming from 
from at least an engagement perspective, not necessarily like a response perspective, but just from an engagement perspective. I think this this represents probably a really big shift, possibly, in how we're going to watch for this kind of thing going forward, especially, and that it's not going to be limited to certain shows or limited to certain outlets, but rather that because of this and because of how prominent this has become for a show that I, that is to be not to be dismissive, but I mean, is on the CW and is one of those things where not a lot of people are necessarily watching this in like a synchronistic type of way, but it's just, it was out there and it's been out there for a week and people are still talking about it. And that's huge. I think. Yeah, it's very, you know, someone was, you know, someone, a critic who doesn't watch the show, we were talking about it on Gchat, and he's like, so it's basically like Tara on Buffy. And I said, yes, but it's Tara on Buffy for the social media age. And also it's 10 years on. And what I'm noticing is that the facility that fans have for discussing these issues is incredibly sharp. And the media education and understanding of people in this culture and in subcultures in particular, is really, really formidable. And I think that that's a great thing. I really think it's a good... We live in a better world if people understand their media and have tools that they can use to engage with it. So in a way, this was such a confluence of, of important things. As you said, the idea of social media, thinking you can direct it or channel it, thinking that you own the the microphone and you really don't and how do you engage with that and you know all the people coming at this with an expectation that their voices should matter and that they should you know like that's that's very much a thing now that you know it's you you engage and people feel like they should be heard so yeah I, I just think it was a lot of things coming together and to just add to your point it was a show on the CW, but this is how a show survives these days by yes, having an active absolutely. fandom, by having an engaged community. And this was a basically for many people, a not a, a not small subset of this fandom, a knife to their heart. Yes. So that's not this is a big deal, you know? It's to me, I think as someone who has been championing the show since day one, um the, this the, the fallout of this is not nearly over. I guess that's yeah. how I put it. Yeah. No, not at all. Well, I want to talk about some of the specifics of of how the writers as a whole, because you're you write the show the the buck stops with the showrunner. And uh, last year, Mo and I were at the Supernatural celebration at DePaul. The a few days after that show killed off Charlie. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the writers and producers of the show was there and made a point of telling all the people who were there that he had actively fought against that decision incredibly mm-hmm. hard, mm-hmm. Uh, which was, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about Charlie uh, in a little bit. Um, but there there are ways to kill characters uh, that that can rip your heart out, but are effective and work for the narrative and are there for a reason and can't really be undone or like that choice couldn't have been made without significantly harming the work as a whole there are ways to kill a character i'm a fan of most everything actually i think everything that i've seen that whedon has done just whedon loves to kill characters and he loves to crush you while he does it and most of the time I'm a you know sobbing mess, but going okay. I got to hand it to him. This is really mm-hmm. well done. This is how you mm-hmm. do this. This is how you engage with tragedy or with grief or fill in the blank. But I, I knew going into this episode when I was watching it that what was going to happen because I didn't watch it live and Twitter at least parts of my Twitter exploded. So I ended. I heard what happened, and my first initial reaction, which was a jackass reaction. Uh, was, I'm sure it's not as bad as people are saying. I know that I have blown certain character deaths out of proportion when, like, with some distance, I was like, no, it was the right thing to do. It's like, I, so I was going in a little tempered. Like, expecting, okay, this people are upset because this character is amazing um, and, the, and they missed the character and that's why they're upset. And then I watched the episode and checked myself for being a, basically 
a condescending bitch about something I didn't know about until I had watched it. And I got incredibly upset. And the reason was that they took something that the show had been almost trumpeting. It had been a real strong element of the show, this beautifully positive portrayal of a bisexual lead character, which is so rare on television, and this amazing character of Lexa, who is is this powerful uh, warrior, but who also is an incredibly nuanced, developed character, I think really well portrayed as well and written. And they they gave fans something that they had been shipping for for you know since the character was introduced Clark and Lexi getting together and then they established a safe space and then they violated it and they did they pulled a Tara in Buffy but they actually managed to make it worse because it's like you say it's 10 years on and this scene doesn't learn anything from the reaction to Tara to, to people's reactions to, to Tara's death on Buffy. And they managed to make it worse by having the stray bullet that kills Lexa be shot by her father figure, who's, who, who's trying to... Who, sending this message that not only will you be punished if you give in to your feelings and express love for another woman, you're going to get shot by your dad in a safe space that the writers that 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 has been created when i was watching that scene and and they have the the cut to lex's reaction as her stun reaction as she's shot i like had a flashback to seeing red or to to the end of the episode before to tara's death i it was i've never had that feeling before watching television it was insane and this is me as a privileged white straight girl watching this i can't imagine what but people who have to deal with discrimination against uh you know the the lgbt community would feel watching this and to have this to have this decision be made as a as a writer like in in the room and to have no one at least not enough people stand up and say we can't do this because this these are the series of tropes that that this plays into this is the this is the subtext that so many people will see we have to find another way it's mind-boggling to me you know just if i could jump in on that and i everything you said i I think is, is spot on um i every writer's room doesn't function the same way you know everyone is different some are more democratic some are more autocratic but let's say there's nine people on a writing staff and including, and then with the showrunner, it's 10. If nine of those people say we shouldn't, and I'm just, this is hypothetical. I'm not going by any knowledge about this particular show. If nine of those people say, I don't think we should do this. And the showrunner says, I think this is a bold choice. We're going to do it. It doesn't matter what those nine people said Mm -hmm. because it's his, you know, and I think just, I think, I'm not, I, I, I agree. The more I've thought about it, the more I've thought, and I, this, I said this to some degree in my piece, but I just want to underline it and sort of make it more clear that my thinking on this has evolved. I think there should have been a space of distance of two or three episodes between these two become intimate and then Lexa dies. A lot of people have trouble with how she died too. I certainly expected her to go out in some sort of fashion one of the characteristic things about Lexa was that she is, and she, she put her relationship at with Clark at risk forever by betraying her at Mount Weather because that's how much she cares about her people. So to me, this is like a deep DNA thing about the character that this, she should have gone out in a way that reflected that. I absolutely understand if people were annoyed that that's not how she went out. And I think that you and other people pointing out the, the 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 whole Titus of it all is extremely pro- problematic, and I had been of the opinion that oh well she wasn't necessarily killed because she's gay, but here is a man charging in saying I disapprove of the choices you're making. Right after these two people have sex, that's it's very it's very it's it's a little too easy to draw that line of like that she was being punished for her sexuality or for being with a woman and or some of the above or whatever. 
So I think, but I think what, to me, what that read like as a student of the, the hundred is what would be the most quote unquote shocking thing to do right now? What would be the biggest turn? And the thing is the the show has been praised by me among other people for doing these shocking things and doing these incredibly gutsy things, you know, way in early, early in season one, I want to say six or seven, there's the episode in which they basically kill off hundreds of people through denying them oxygen. Right. Right. And I thought they wouldn't do that. And they did it. Um, they've done many things like that. The killing off of men, women, and children, civilians in Mount Weather didn't think they would do that. They did it. I, I think though, a really useful contrast would be the death of Finn versus the death of Lexa. The death of Finn had a lot of setup, but that did not make it any more poignant or any more or any less poignant or, you know, it was just still the impact was huge. And that was Finn, Finn essentially sacrificed himself for his people. He understood what was happening. He agreed with it and he was glad that it was his friend that was doing it. His friend who was then, incredibly damaged by and actually like you know clark was finn's lover as well so there's that component to it she was extremely broken up by it but i didn't think they'd do that either necessarily and they did it but the show this season has been making a lot of choices for short-term shock value that did not nearly have the payoff that anyone intended because they're shoddily constructed you know, it's as if you go to a restaurant, the great taco place that you've been going to, and you're like, oh, why are they using actual cardboard instead of tortillas? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, why are they buying the lowest, cheapest grade of meat and not even seasoning it? Like, it's just not everything's been like that. I thought the first couple episodes of the season were good. I really liked all the alley stuff. But the the show, I think, fell victim to its own hype in that they thought that they were about shocking people and doing extreme things. This was an extreme set of choices that were undergirded by an un by it. There was something else operating here, which is the whole lesbian tragic death trope. And I understand I didn't listen to the podcast, but Jason went on a podcast and talked about this. This is one thing I wanted to mention in this podcast when I was thinking about it and prepping for it is that I've talked to like dozens of showrunners in my career. And I think that Jason, like most or all of them, truly believes what he says and has, you know, is not trying to. I've also been lied to. I don't think he's lying when he says I I wasn't even thinking about that trope. Well, Mm -hmm. the fact that you're not thinking about it doesn't mean you're not doing it. And as an example, I would say in Sleepy Hollow season two, I interviewed the showrunner before season two, or actually in the middle of season two, when it was just basically a dumpster fire at that point. And I, I, I said to him, Katrina is like literally within your narrative. She is a useless character. She tried to do magic once and she fainted. What is the point of Katrina? And he said, well, Katrina's a strong female character. And I just felt like saying... Sir, that is not a magical incantation that protects your narrative from charges of being crap. <laughs> like, that's not, you know, so like sometimes I basically just decide to not necessarily pay all that much attention to what people say about what their show, but what they do within their show. And that, again, that's one thing I was trying to do is be like, this is, the show has been making really questionable decisions all season long the pike and bellamy stuff is i i can't i've not come across one person who's defended that on like kind of a major hardcore level so i mean it's i'm just waiting i'm playing out that string and waiting for that to be over i just don't even know if i can deal with bellamy anymore as a character i honestly think that to me before any of this lexa stuff happened that was like i i don't know i i was really on the fence um it, with him as a character, that is. So this this was just the show making a set, what, another mistake that it has been making this season, but doing it in a way where it, it just stepped into a minefield. And I don't think they realized the extent that they were stepping into that minefield. 
And here's the thing, I didn't even know either. The last week for me has been an education. I, you know, I, I've been reading these incredibly heartfelt things. I want to direct you guys to one thing. I won't like, you know, read it on air, but go to uncannyvalley.us. And that's a writer and professor named Elizabeth Bridges talking about the impact that 13 had on her as a viewer and as a fan. And I just, it just kind of blew me away. It was, it's just, you know, the representation that the community, um, especially uh, gay and lesbian community gets on TV is still spotty at best, sometimes terrible, sometimes you know, not empathic, not, not well-rounded characters. It just brought home to me, I don't know about you, but the, this particular couple had a, a very, very special importance to many viewers, but especially to gay and lesbian viewers. And I, I, it, it took me a lot of reading and thinking to understand, you know, how this, what the impact was and how it could have been handled better. And there's just a lot to chew on there. The, the arguments I've seen out there that, well, but the hundred kills lots of people. Why should a character get special treatment or be treated differently because they are LGBTQ. And to that, I say two things. First of all, this is one, I think pretty much the only main death mm -hmm. again, that I can think of where a character hasn't had agency in their death. If she had even just jumped in front of the bullet like to save Clark or something that also would have been problematic but at least she would have a choice in it Finn made a series of choices right. that led him to where he was mm -hmm. and so did Clark and every time they've had really intense difficult moments it's been this this delightful series of decisions that has led to a moment uh and in this case no it's an act it's a complete accident he's trying to shoot someone else and she happens to stumble into a it's it completely removes agency i think that's so essential when looking at uh sudden traumatic deaths whether it's george on Grey's anatomy pushing the woman out of the way of the bus or if it's duala on battlestar committing suicide mm -hmm. uh it's it's a huge there's a difference. dignity to that there's a dignity to the choice yeah and the other thing for me is um, and then I want to third to you, Noel, because I realize I've, <laughs> Mo and I have been monopolizing the conversation. But the other thing is, this show, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe has now had 100% of its lesbian characters die. Because there's Lexa and there's Costia, who we've never met, but was, you know, t we learned about her off, you know, uh, on screen and she, you know, she, she died. She was beheaded. She was tortured and beheaded for being Lexa's uh, lover. And so, yes, they've killed lots of people on the 100, but mm -hmm. have they killed 100% of any other subset? I don't think so. So right. maybe if you know you're going to have to kill off a character because the actress has gotten cast in another show, maybe you th take that into consideration when you're structuring the rest of your season, when you're structuring what you know needs to happen. Ugh. Yeah. I just to, I want to throw it to Noel as well because I'm talking too much. This is my thing, but um, I think that, that that what you just said matters so much. And I think what I really respect about the reactions that I saw, I probably re I've read so many tweets, so many Tumblr, so many blog posts, and what have you. I haven't really seen. There have been some, a few people who've said, "Oh, they didn't have to kill her off at all." That really hasn't been the dominant thing at all. Many many people have said we we're pretty sure she was leaving the season, you know? Um, so I think that that's really a healthy kind of way to look at it. Like, like the shows lose people and the characters go away, but you're right. You know, when this is an, in an incredibly important relationship for this show and just for TV in general, you really, really have to think that through. And I don't think that they did that sufficiently it's very clear that that, you know, was there's many elements could have been much more interesting, noble, dramatic in a good way, shocking in a cool, in, not cool, but shocking in a, in a way that resonated, as you said, and is additive to the narrative. I think what Mo, especially your point about the show's structuring of um, its compression, I think is one of the terms you used in your piece, 
is that so much of the season has been heavily compressed. And I feel like a lot of that compression came about, possibly came about, based on how this was executed because of Debnam Carey's availability. And that this idea that they needed to rush to get to this uh, the implant and figure all this out before they lost her, basically. So Pike and Bellamy going going off and killing a bunch of people for no apparent reason. And then the back and forth about where Clark was fitting in on both camps. And then also trying to make sure that the City of Light thing started to tie back into everything else. Because I know a lot of folks were just like, I don't care about Jaha Murphy and the City of Light. This is dumb. Where is this going? And they had to say, oh no, here's where it's going. And they decided to do it through Lexa and this idea of a reincarnated, basically AI reincarnated commander, and which is a mind-boggling, terrific idea, I think. But mm-hmm. I think that... No this... one's talking about that, though. I mean, I... Right, I... no, <laughs> no one is. And it's so, like, I, I DM'd Kate after I watched the episode, and I just went, this is a terrific idea. How horribly executed was this? Yeah. Right. And again, it was like, these were structural points. I think yeah. that Javi's writing was fine, you know, and I think he did yeah. a good job. I think that the decisions made about what the tent poles of this episode would be, not by him, were, that was the problem for me. And, yeah. you know, I, I totally agree with you. I really liked this episode. I yeah. think that the developments <laughs> with like the, the, the AI and everything is freaking awesome. It yeah. just, it taps right into my sci-fi genre spot and made me actually care about all the alley stuff that I really exactly. haven't cared about. It activated all that stuff. And because we're all sci-fi fans, I'll do an alternate scenario for you. I think, and I, you know, whatever. I, I know sometimes writers get mad when it's like, well, you know, you think you could write this show and your <laughs> ideas are dumb or whatever. I do think, okay, Here's our window for Alicia Debnam Carey. Right. Here's the window that we have. Okay, let's do this. In episode seven, she has to die. We know this. She has to leave the set. And, you know, honestly, this is a really just another a sort of a digression. If you're a fan and you're listening and you heard a comment, I don't even know where it came from. I'm not sure of the provenance. Alicia said she would come back. I'm sure she did at some point. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt she will say that next time she's in the press. An actor saying that they would theoretically return to a show does not mean that they can. She's committed to doing 22 episodes per season of Fear the Walking Dead. So everyone at the 100 knew that the chances of getting her back in a window that worked for them on their production schedule were very, very small. And I personally think that to have the commander out there not a around Clark just as this dangling thing. I do think it made more sense to kill her off. I, you know what? I'm not a, I, I am not a writer. So if there was an amazing, awesome way to have her off screen, that's fine. But I think that this was the right choice. So in my view, in my alternate scenario, okay, Alicia has to leave episode seven. How do we give her an incredibly resonant, important, yeah. noble, memorable death? And incorporate how Clark plays into that because they've now been physically and they've been, you know, sort of like they've been attracted to each other for a long time, but they've been intimate for minimum three episodes. So how do we tie that in and make that happen and, and make the narrative so that that all makes sense within that time frame? I just think that the idea that the problem with tropes, as someone pointed out, and it's something I tweeted earlier today, is that we don't know that we're falling into them. But I'm sorry, you have to listen to people. You, like they, I, I do think that it's been a listening process for the writers. I, I'm sure it's been a very, very tough week. But like this, the, the timing of how this all played out couldn't have been worse. And can I just jump in with one other thing that I think a mistake, one of the bigger mistakes the show made. And tell me if you guys think it's minor or just sort of like an inside baseball thing. But the idea that anyone associated with the show, this apparently happened, was invited to come down to the set and take pictures or hang out and look at what they were doing. Um, I guess this is a spoiler. 
for the future of the show, so don't listen for the next 30 seconds if you don't want to. Alicia was on set that day, and they were filming the finale. So you're, you've just, or they were doing a scene from the finale, I guess. Okay. You're giving people hope that she survives this season. And then to pull the rug out from under them, the, like literally 30 seconds after they've had sex for the first time is, wow. I think that was just a mistake, and I don't know if I'm overplaying it, but no, that's you're not. Two no. cents. If no. anything, you're underplaying <laughs> okay. it. Because right. some fans have set up like timelines of tweets from from members of the 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 creative team and production team, um, saying, for example, here's something that they tweeted out. Oh look, uh, it's maybe a happy future after all. Some things like that, and what? circling the timestamp and like oh, at this point. <laughs> they had already like they were filming the episode where she dies like things like that re- responding to previous oh, episodes you know idea. like live tweeting but... and the, this particular fandom is super into that stuff literally this is their thing the i've i, I don't know about you guys but i've known ever since lexa turned up the Klexa fandom is extremely keyed into each other like they're mm-hmm. picking up every scrap of news for anyone to say something about Lexa with the word hope associated with that is that's un- very very unfortunate or like never give up hope or who knows question mark spoiler alert you know because you're filming the episode where she dies if i if i had been associated with the with the 100 i would have said i don't care what you have to do but film this on a closed set so no one knows this so that it, a it's a surprise for the story which would be better than having it out there for like, like whatever, however many months, but B don't do that to people. If you know, you're killing off their favorite character. Don't, that's not, that's not a good idea. No, it's, it's a really terrible idea. (laughs) The thing I keep coming back to with this, like, Oh, we are not aware of the, the dead lesbian tropes. Like, well, not knowing what the law is doesn't make you not guilty if you break it. So if you're not aware of what is a very significant recurring trope on on TV shows, and we can get into maybe a little bit here before we run out of time, some of these other examples, um, then and and you've got you you've made uh, a positive relationship with LGBTQ characters. A significant part of your show and in the way that you interact with your fans it's on you to yeah. be engaged and like that's like one of the things that for me again to take it back to tara like for me tara's death on buffy is incredibly painful but i also understand that choice because they needed something so terrible mm-hmm. it would make willow be evil and try to end the world so right I understand completely people who that doesn't justify the choice for them creatively. Like I totally get it. But for me, I'm more accepting of that choice. But again, that's 10 years ago. How people, how do you not learn or understand the history of, you know, this, this relationship with television? I think honestly, I think they were aware of it. And I think, I think that, and I'm not going to say they, I think Jason Rothenberg because the buck stopped with him thinks he wasn't doing it. And I think yeah. he's mistaken about that. And I, I'm sorry, you know, like it's it's unfortunate, but if I could just, we should get into some of those other deaths that we were teasing that we would talk about. But I, <laughs> I, thought, an, I thought of an analogy that I thought would work for this conversation, um, which is just full of puppies and rainbows all the way around, isn't it? But um, I've written a lot, um, as have other folks, as have you guys, about sexual assault on TV, right? Mm-hmm. So in 2004... I wrote about rape on Rescue Me, and I was incensed by that. That was clearly a rape scene that the show didn't understand was a rape scene, and I was just really furious that that happened in that way and that there was a lot of backing and filling to say that, no, it wasn't, and but, blah, 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 like, you know, it was just, it was just, it was just very bad. Um, so cut to 10 years later, when I basically lose my shit completely on the show Tyrant, the first few episodes of it that I watched because there were not only one, but two different women who were raped in that show or sexually assaulted in a total of three scenes. And one of them, we don't even know her, her name. And I got to tell you, anyone associated with the show who tried to come back at me and say, but we learned her name in episode four, 
I was not really in Fuck a place you. to yes, I don't like, yes, how that's un- wonderful. So like what, what part of what made me mad about that and part of why I really understand where the hundred fandom is with this and where gay and lesbian and um, GLBTQ viewers are with this is because it's 10 years later. Are you serious with this? Like it's come on. Like that's part of why I got very, very irate about tyrant because it was like, you are trying in a quick and dirty way to establish your show's grittiness and to establish a character's nastiness. And you're doing it literally on the backs of women whose names we don't know three times in one episode of television. And P.S. it's your first episode of television. So you're really putting your best foot forward. I mean, it was just so offensive. Did Tyrant have a best foot? (laughs) No, it had a worse foot. Well, it's like, it just, part of what made me mad about that is like the definition of privilege is not having to see context and not having to change because you don't have to because that's how much power and influence you have not having to listen not having to evolve like you don't have to do any of those things if you are the most powerful part of a food chain right so that's what made me mad is like okay here i am a tv critic where literally between that show and other shows, it felt like for three years there, I was senior rape correspondent. You know, it just it just really started to feel like sexual, like no one was going to ever learn that me and many other people were saying, nobody has said there can never be sexual assault on television. Nobody's saying that. We are saying that this is something that you need to treat as something important that ha- happens within your narrative and that it is not about how the man feels about it, about how her partner or friend or business coworker or whatever, this, how does the woman feel about it? And that's why Game of Thrones, again, like another example, I was just furious. I was real. I was more furious when in, you know, there's the episode with Cersei and Jamie that everyone like went crazy about. And I did too. But then the one after that actually made me more depressed because they're up at Craster's Keep. And it's like, well, how rapey can we make this? It's not just that a guy is literally drinking blood out of a skull while giving a supervillain narrative, but that there are random women. Again, we don't know their names. And like they're just being pawed and assaulted all over the place. Like, because we didn't get from the guy drinking blood out of a skull that maybe he's bad. <laughs> it was just like, are you like, the show repeatedly just kind of didn't want to hear it on that score. You know what I mean? And that's just, to me, that was just what made me mad. So that's my long way of saying that, you know, part of the rage that I saw this week and part of the rage I completely understood was we're really tired of being told to wait for representation and then to wait longer for representation that doesn't feel um, short-sighted and incomplete, if not offensive. So I don't know. I I just thank the fans of the hundred for tweeting and writing and being really smart and, uh, you know, helping educate me along the way. I'm going to guess, I'm going to assume unwittingly, but the producers and the creatives at the hundred created a safe space for their LGBTQ fans and viewers the the ones who are engaged they said trust us yeah this character we're getting it right you know Mm -hmm. we're listening to you they really leaned that with their press this season for sure yeah i was about to say that there were a number of comments and essays about the fact that the show this season really leaned heavily on that Mm -hmm. and then they violated it and they said this is (laughs) you shouldn't have trusted us yeah yeah, that's what the Elizabeth Bridges essay conveyed really well to me and other things that I've written too. The sense of betrayal is just very profound. And I understand why, I mean, you know, it bothers me when people say, why do you feel bad about X? Man, When you know, like I felt sad about Battlestar going off the air for like, not that it dominated my every thought, but like when characters die, when you know, like the, if a show is good, it enters into our emotional, you know, ecosystem. Why shouldn't it? Isn't this why we're watching? Is 
isn't this why we're consuming stories? This is the point. Like I, the idea that you would want to downplay that or say that it doesn't matter and it's just a TV show. I like that. That just really makes me a little bit like, here's a real example. When the hit fix poll came out and Fargo won again, everyone's <laughs> going to say Mo hates Fargo. I don't hate Fargo. But the fact that Fargo, we won, hate Fargo. We're and, not big on Fargo here. <laughs> yeah. Like the fact that Fargo won again and that better call Saul was at the number one best new show that just depressed me I didn't think that they were the best we could do I felt like they were the consensus choices that were just I had issues with for various reasons and I just was like I was depressed on that day because of a poll result about television so like maybe I'm just a weirdo but I don't think I am I think this is why people go to stories and it's just been heartbreaking to read these these posts and these these thoughts from fans and just to get them to just to have them tweet back things like thank you for listening and I think that that's that's what Hobby's really modeling and I actually was inspired by him I I really and, and just I think it's also many other people's worldview too including my own but like I just really wanted to kind of listen to people and say hey you know your emotions absolutely matter and if people were very upset by this I think that the words that you just said are the are the reason why this is a safe place for people that don't have that many and it was it it, it wasn't you know and then it wasn't and that's really hard um, do we have any final thoughts on on the hundred and the handling of Lexa um, and and if not, then I want to throw it to each of you to name off just a handful of character deaths that gutted you, but in the right way. And then if you have one or two that really anger or bother you, I'd love to hear yeah. about that as well. You go, Noel. I'm in a weird space where I don't really get like too like upset. I don't get angry about character deaths for the most part. Um, I get sad about character deaths. I. I just very rarely get angry about them, though, which I think just says something about how I engage things. Um, but uh, Wesley and Angel just guts me every time, literally. <laughs> and um, just, it's so just, and um, Fred being, well, not Fred, but Fred, but not Fred being there and just all of that. It's just, it was really big. Um, but Jill and Son and Lost, oh, so many tears. Um, and then I mentioned this decayed, and this is much a much bigger type of uh, death that gets to me. But the finale of Blackadder goes forth um, with them just heading over the barricade, and it's just like, oh, <laughs> great, yay! For like no, like I mean, we talk about a lack of agency with character deaths, and I mean, a lot of Blackadder goes forth is about agency and what you can do to achieve agency and madness. And I think that that episode and how that ends is a really good example of how you can do that really, really well and still be an incredibly emotionally fulfilling movement type of thing. Uh, but yeah, so those those were a couple for me. Um, the only one that is probably a big one that I know I saw a lot of people talk about when Kate asked for stuff was Will's death on The Good Wife. And um, my thing, my reaction to that was I knew Josh Charles was leaving because they hadn't announced a renewal for his contract. So I just didn't know how they were going to have him leave. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, okay, well, this is how they're doing that. And like I had internalized Will leaving on some level. So them shooting him, I just went, oh, well, this was big and splashy for them. <laughs> Yeah. I was ugly crying while you were oh. <laughs> so Aww. we had a different reaction there. Yeah. No, um no, I was I was too drained when that happened because that was the, I think that was the same week that they killed Beverly and Hannibal. Yeah. And I was severely jet lagged that week because I had just flown back from Seattle to Atlanta to review The Good Wife and I was just severely jet lagged and I just went, Oh, I do not have the emotional bandwidth to deal with this. <laughs> Mo, do you have any final thoughts on on the hundred or any other deaths you wanted to to mention? Um, I you know there have been various people saying I'm done watching the show, and I totally respect that, and I am going to keep watching the show, and I'm just interested to see where they go from here. Um, the first two seasons of the show were pretty consistently 
good, like not perfect, but I thought that they really went to some interesting places. But this, I always knew before this season even began, that this was going to be something of a make or break season. And I've what I've liked about the show is the world building. Like in the first couple episodes of season three, Polis, um, you know, expanding to the Ice Nation and those characters. I thought that actually could have gone on longer. Um, everything to do with, uh, I think that the recent Alley stuff has been really interesting. So I, I'm just, I, I don't know. I think that this is going to be a show that um, it, it does go close to the edge. Clearly it went over it in a lot of ways before even this with various other story elements, but this one was a big one. So I guess I just wanted to make it clear that everything I said, I totally stand behind and um, I'm, I'm just going to keep watching though. Um, in terms of other deaths, I was trying to think about some that really, I know I'm going to remember as soon as we stop talking, like some deaths that I remember that were, had enormous <laughs> impacts on me that it were bigger than I should have talked about. But um, one that comes to mind just that's recent is um, the leftovers and uh, that amazing episode of tv uh international assassin uh it just it just wrecked me you know everything about that show i mean that show really is very much about grief and processing the unknowable and and questions and uh, there's just so much so much beauty in this season two of, of how it approached those questions and you know patty levin had been this thorn on the side of justin throw's character and just how that all played out when they were down on the well oh my gosh I just oh that, that that broke me that wrecked me a lot I'm just and just another character death that I thought you can't I, I can't think of an, a death that did as much for the narrative so to speak and it was the right time for that character to go um but was Gus Fring on Breaking Bad you know Kate you earlier had said something about like you know it really should be something that pushes things forward and and, and makes thing makes the show better and I think Think that that's to me really a case of, of that um so yeah those are a couple of mine that came to mind well and you know you've, we talk about uh Noli talk about Blackadder I mean the ending of Blackadder goes forth is the logical extension of what it needs to be that's the right. narrative showing you what needs to happen yes. and if that isn't what happened it would cheat the themes and the point what the conversation of that entire season has been and that's how that's how character deaths should be, I think, uh, on on good shows, on shows that treat their characters with respect, that aren't just going for for you know shock or <laughs> just to shock. Um, but some other ones that I mean, the, one of the biggest ones for me is uh, in Serenity Wash. Mm -hmm. That I was I was like upset about that for weeks because I had seen it at an early screening. So it wasn't out yet. So I couldn't talk about it with anyone. And it was it was really, really tough, but absolutely essential for the tone of that movie for to, to set up the ending. You needed something that powerful to happen. And that's one where I hated it, but absolutely respected it from a narrative standpoint. Uh, a similar one for me is like for like Fred on on Angel, which was one that I saw several people saying really angered them. But for me, that moment is so powerful oh god i just did an angel rewatch last year i cried yep that was so it was wonderful all the ugly tears mm -hmm. um whereas for example charlie on lost just pissed me off because i was like that's ridiculous he should have been able to get out there wasn't there was enough time to get out if you're gonna kill off a character and a character that pretty much everybody likes there needs to be a reason and right. not Penny's boat is not a reason because that says that means it's meaningless. It means nothing. It says nothing. There wasn't enough water in that room to really have it be a problem. I'm going to keep going if I don't stop now, but it was bullshit as was the way that Juliet died. Also, oh, I'm going to stop midair magnetic chain so that I can wrap around Juliet's waist and tie really tight and pull her. Ah, anyways, sorry. Uh, some of the deaths on Lost, I'm totally fine with think they handled well some of them i think are bullshit those are two of them clearly i can feel strongly um the last thing that i have and this kind of ties in with will um the good wife uh which also gutted me but there i think 
one of the elements of the hundred handling of Lex's death that doesn't get talked hasn't gotten talked about and should is the fact that this is not a normal way to kill someone on TV. This is having someone just literally wrong place, wrong time, total accident. Like that's not how characters get killed off on TV almost all the time. There's a, you know, every now and again, you'll have a missing Mrs. Landingham gets killed in a car accident on the West Wing. Um, a Law and Order, Jill Hennessy's character gets hit by a drunk driver. I mean, every now and again, you'll have that. But usually it's in an episode surrounded by them. The The show telegraphs what's going to happen and prepares you. So then when it does, it feels more respectful. So having a character just like, oh, now you're dead. That is not a thing that happens most of the time on TV, which makes the decision to do that, even on the hundred, that's not typical, mm. which makes the decision to do that on the hundred even more glaring to me. Right. And it's why I get nervous every time that there's a Diggle centric episode on Arrow, because I just assume they're going to kill him. <laughs> and they then better I... not. I think I like Diggle better than I like Oliver. I don't know. <laughs> I do. At least they brought Sarah back after they killed the queer character that time. Yeah, I that guess. was one where, I mean, some people, I had a little bit of a debate with some folks about Sarah on Arrow about whether she was fridged or not. And to me, classic fridging, which is something I wish I didn't have to know about, but <laughs> it's where a char- like a female character, we don't even know her. We don't like, you know, she's just not have an arc. She does not have a narrative, which is not to me the case of Sarah on Arrow. Although I do think that if, you know, I was one of the people saying Laurel is <sighs> the best that they can do with Laurel is to make her neutral for a long time, she was just annoying. And so to take away Sarah, who was great on Arrow, and to keep Laurel around was kind of like, uh, okay, I guess so. Um, obviously, they re- revived her for Legends of Tomorrow, but that show so far seems like, you know, 17 different shows in search of, you know, a, a point beyond we could, you know, have these characters available. <laughs> so, and we want them to stay on so they can appear on their other shows. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um can I jump in? Actually, I thought of one other good death and then a bad death. Can I jump in? Go with for that? it. Go for okay. it. So the good one, and we didn't mention this, this, this at the top, but I'll say Spartacus, and then you can mm-hmm. not listen to this next, I don't know, minute and a half if, if you don't want to know a Spartacus thing. But you should already have watched Spartacus because it's amazing. Spartacus. So you yes, should be fine. So this is your PSA. Go watch Spartacus right now. Um, one of the things... One of my favorite things in the world is to have people say, okay, you keep yelling at me about Spartacus. I'm going to watch Spartacus. And then I would get texts or emails or DMs from them as they kept going in season one. And the episode in which Varro dies is brutal. Just completely. And people lose their minds. Like I've had like eight different people lose their (laughs) their minds over this because it's so hard. This is a case, it was kind of a little bit like the Finn thing. One character has to kill another, absolutely does not want to, and is devastated, but is in a situation that forces them to do this horrifying thing to someone they love very, very much. And like the Vero death will just slay me every time. It's it's so awful. It's just the definition of tragedy. And even though I didn't necessarily know what was going to happen then, like that, it came as a surprise, but to me, it resonated with the show's themes of powerlessness. How do you acquire power? How do people use power for good and for ill? That was just a devastating indictment. You know, that was a death that was an indictment of a use of power that the show had had a long running sort of theme about. Um, A bad death. Oh my God, Brody on Homeland. Who cared? I mean, by that <laughs> should have happened sooner. Nobody yeah. cared. Literally, yeah. search all of North America and find someone who cared. By that point, nobody cared. He should have died easily a season before that, easily. And then, like that third season was just so clearly a we have a hit show and we're we're gonna Dexter this this show. And by Dexter, I mean drag it out into the point where it's just become a cartoon. That was, I mean, the thing is, here's a show that, like, season one and parts of season two, I thought were, like, among the apexes of TV I'd seen in the last decade. And then to have it dragged down to the point where literally it's like, okay, 
just Brody, can you please just die? Please die. Please die. I've wanted you to die now for approximately 200 years. Please die. Which is not the response that you should be getting from your audience. I mean, when your audience is like either begging for their own death or the character's death, (laughs) you've done something wrong. So there's that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to close out this segment uh, by inviting, as you know, we've already said, uh, fans of The 100, fans of any TV, but especially fans of The 100, please respond with your thoughts on this uh, to this post that's up at theteleverse.org. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know how you feel about this. And I'm sure there are many, many topics we did not get into or alighted or, you know, I would love to hear everyone's response. So theteleverse at gmail.com. If you want to send an email at the Televerse on Twitter, uh, you know, tweet at me, I can take it, or uh, leave a comment on this post because there's a lot more I think that we could have gotten into. But then we'd be here all day. Oh, um, so, so many days. Turn the, we'll, we're turning the floor over to you guys. Um, and then also, of course, thank you, Mo, so much for joining us uh, and giving us so much of your time. Where can listeners find you and your work online? Uh, you can find me twitter.com slash Mo Ryan, M O R Y A N. And I have links to all my stuff there. You can also, like, on my little bio part on Twitter, you can, there's a, t- a link to my Tumblr, which gives links to my variety page, which is where you'd find all my work there, plus previous works. And also within that um, Tumblr post that's on my Twitter bio, there are links to my previous writings about the hundred. So if you just can't get enough of me yammering out about that, <laughs> you can read some of my previous work about that. Um, But yeah, that's the main stuff for me. Thanks again so much, Mo, for coming on. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. 